0: Well, this morning we continue our series through the books of Ezra and Haggai, a series called Heroic, where we see uh, God at work and uh, his people stepping out with heroic faith. And I think maybe you just saw a tangible example of that in Karina. But uh, the hero isn't necessarily the one who just does these great, wonderful things. It's the one who uh, just simply follows the Lord day after day, step after step, wherever he's leading, with courage, with bravery. Uh, with, with, uh, with, uh, just, just no doubt that he's going to do the work. Amen. And uh, that's what we've, we've seen. And that's where we're continuing today. And we're going to pick it up in Ezra chapter seven. Uh, but before we do, uh, let me pray and then uh, we'll join together as we look at the text. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. And Lord, thanks for your grace. Um, our only chance to have a faith that's heroic and a faith that is enduring and that trusts you is by your grace. Jesus, the only reason we love you is because you first loved us even while we were still your enemies. And you died on the cross for us. So you're the one who's doing the work and you're the one who has to do the work in our lives, in our church, in our community. And uh, it's our job simply to partner with you to see where you're going and jump on board. Lord, I pray this morning, uh, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to and through me as I teach, and I pray also against the enemy As servants, their works and effects, that instead of discouraging us, Holy Spirit, would you give us courage as we see your hand at work to step out in faith and to trust you? Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, if you hear me kind of mumbling or smacking, I've, I've got just a really hacking cough today, so... I'm sucking on a cough drop all the time, and I'll. this one's about gone, so I'll be throwing another one in. But if I'm mumbling a little bit, you know why. Or if I have to stop and swallow, you know why. But hey, Ezra chapter 7. Look at verse 1. We've been through the first six chapters of Ezra, and now the writer of the book shows up in the story. Ezra. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, if you remember the last time we read... Um, uh, First, Cyrus was king, and when the whole story started, right, and he had conquered Babylon, became king of Persia, because all of God's people at the beginning of this story are in exile because of their sin. They've, they've been uh, exiled into what's modern-day Iraq, Babylon. And then Cyrus, who's the king of Persia, comes in, conquers Babylon. Now he's the king, and he makes a decree at the beginning of Ezra and says, hey, if you guys want to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild your temple, go do it. He didn't say it quite like that, but that's, that's the essence of it. Well, you fast forward uh, about 15, 20 years or so, and a new guy is king. And his name is Darius, Darius the Great. There's a number of Dariuses who are king, but Darius succeeded Cyrus. And you see Darius, I think, in chapter 6 of Ezra. We didn't really talk about him last week, but he shows up there. Now, when he returns a letter, as they, they started the work and they faced opposition, and uh, Darius writes a letter back and says, hey, don't, don't stop him. Let him keep working because that's what was decreed. Well, now we get further into Ezra chapter 7 and now we've got this third king who's over all the people who are in exile and his name is Artaxerxes. Now, what does that tell you right away if there's been three kings since we started this book, what has passed? Some time, right? We actually we're 60 years later from the time that they finished building or started building the temple. It's 60 years later, two generations later. And now Ezra shows up on the scene. So he says, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, so after all these things, after uh, the temple was started, and everybody got excited, and, everybody, and a bunch of people went back, and then after the, after the temple, the work was stopped because of opposition, but then after the temple started up, the work started up again, and Zerubbabel completed the temple. After all of this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, so if, if you were a contemporary in the day, you'd know this is about 60 years later. Here's what happens. Look at verse 2, Ez, or the end of verse 1. Ezra, the son of Saraiah, the son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah. He's talking, it's, it's Ezra is what he's saying. And he starts listing off his genealogy. And if you look, it goes all the way back, verse 5, to Aaron, the chief priest. So Ezra has a great family lineage, doesn't he? He goes all the way back to the very first chief priest, Aaron all the way back to Moses' brother. Generation after generation after generation of of ministry and of faithfulness to the Lord. That's Ezra's family. And it says at the beginning of verse six, this Ezra then went up from Babylon. Now now we know Ezra comes from a long line of God, God honoring men and women. And he has a family history of honoring and serving the Lord. And one of the first things I think about with Ezra is, um, as I read that genealogy all the Back, 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 all the way to Aaron It makes you wonder And, and I think it's really appropriate today Since we have the kids in here with us uh, What sort of spiritual legacy Are you leaving? Think about from Aaron Generation after generation Aaron was still bearing fruit now In his great, 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 great Grandson Ezra's life Will you? What kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving After you? In your family. I mean, it's true. God can use anyone, right? He picks people up who have absolutely no spiritual legacy in their family. And he uses them to do great things. He does it all the time. All the time. Right? We have people in our church. He's done that with you. But, but do you know, more often than not, that the odds are much greater for somebody who comes from a long family history of the Lord's faithfulness. And of obedience to the Lord. That, that Proverbs makes some promises, right? If you uh, train a child up in the way of the Lord, when he gets old, he will not depart from it. What kind of legacy are you leaving in your family? Parents, grandparents, great-grandparents? See, uh, how about not just your family? What about in your church? You know, someday your family is going to go on without you, Lord willing, right? You live to a long age, and they live to a long age. Lord willing, someday Charlie is going to be an adult and... Um, I, I, I don't look forward to that day, but I'll be, I won't be—I will be around. And someday the church, Lord willing, is going to go on without you. Listen, I, I pray that this church goes on long after I'm done. Don't you hope that? That this church is still here like 60, 70, 80, 100 years from now? Well, what legacy are you leaving? What legacy are you leaving? See, it's only ever one generation away from just catastrophe. Are you going to outlive yourself and your family and your church? Ezra's family certainly did. Look at Ezra. It goes on in verse six. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel had given. Ezra was a skilled scholar of God's word. Ezra knew how to open up God's word and study it. and, And he was an incredible scholar. Here's what you're going to find out about Ezra. He was a great scholar. He was a great leader. He, he was just an incredible, incredible man. He really was. But you're also going to see his humility. But, and, and by the way, where did Ezra grow up? Do you remember? He was in, in exile in Babylon, right? So what was in Babylon? There was no temple. Many people believe that, some scholars believe that Ezra is actually the guy who started the tradition of the synagogue. Do you know what the synagogue was? It was a local assembly of of believers, of, of Jewish people, who gathered together for worship and for teaching and for community. Does that sound like anything you know? You're sitting at it. It sounds like the church, doesn't it? The Christian church is really out of that same tradition of the synagogue. So Ezra's fruit is continuing even today. When the early church started, they based their model off of the way the synagogues had been meeting. And that started in exile because they didn't have a temple. They probably only had pieces of God's word. Everybody didn't have like 15 versions of God's word in their pocket. They, they, they barely had any of it. Just on scrolls. And so for Ezra to be a skilled scholar of God's word in a day where he had very limited access to God's word. Is that incredible? That's incredible. God's hand on him. And... Um, I think it's in no small part because of probably the legacy in his family. Uh, and the king granted to him all that he asked. Whatever Ezra needed, the king, who is the king now? Artaxerxes, right? Whatever Ezra needed, the king gave him. You ever thought how weird that is? Ezra's a prisoner of war. I mean, can you imagine if, if, if uh, I, I don't know, let's think back like to World War II, Right? You have prisoners of war. Maybe let's just take it to the extreme of, of Hitler in Germany and some of the Jews in some of the, 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 the death camps. If, if one of the Jews went to, to Hitler and he gave him anything he wanted, Ezra, it says Ezra, he had such favor with the Lord, he was a skilled scholar of God's word, that the king who was over him gave him everything he asked for. Well, here's and you, you wonder why that is. Well, here's the answer. For the hand of the Lord, his God was on him. In other words, God God was in control. His grace was at work. The good hand of the Lord. Other times it says was upon him. This this phrase is where we're going this morning, and we're going to key in on it, because it shows up six times in Ezra 7 and 8. Now, think about this. I just told you, and we'll see it here a little later. Ezra was an incredible scholar. He was an incredible leader. God used him to do some incredible things. And, and he's writing this story. That's why the book's called Ezra. And so when Ezra, who, listen, he knows he's a good leader, okay? He knows that he is. Trust me, he does. And so when he gets to himself, uh, wouldn't it be... Uh, it would probably, it would be totally justifiable for him to say, and, and I led them and, and whatever I asked for, the king gave me because I was a really skilled leader. And uh, I just, I knew how to ask and I knew how to go about it. But what does he say? He doesn't take credit for himself, does he? What does he say? For the good hand of the Lord was upon him, was upon me. Ezra had great humility. And he uses this phrase six times. And so we're going to look at each one because, uh, you know, the good hand of the Lord didn't stop with Ezra. He's, He's still at work extending his hand today. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Have you experienced that? The good hand of the Lord in your life? Well, when Ezra writes it, it shows his unfailing recognition that God is the one from whom all good things come. Even like James writes, every good and perfect gift is from above. He knows that everything that gets accomplished under Ezra's leadership, everything under his leadership, isn't to his credit, but it's to God's credit. To God be the glory. Amen? In other words, how do we say it? It's all about who? It's all about who? Jesus. So whatever we accomplish, whatever happens in our church, it's all about, help me. Good. It is. It's the good hand of the Lord. He's the one in control. So during the message this morning, we're going, to look at, we're going to unpack the text, but we're going to stop each time that Ezra says the good hand of the Lord was upon him. So let's look at it this first time and see how the good hand of the Lord is on Ezra in verse 6. I would contend that the first way we see the good hand of the Lord in the book of Ezra, and honestly we see it in our own life, is in provision. We see the good hand of the Lord in the way that he provides uh, Karina just gave incredible testimony to that. See, the Lord's nudging her to do something. And so she steps out in faith, baby steps, right? And she's taking steps and all of a sudden God just starts providing. And it doesn't make sense. Well, we're going to have the money for that. I, well, text message pops in. Hey, can we do this? Okay. Well, then I guess I'll take another step. Well, what, when's this going to happen? And somebody else, okay. So God just keeps providing. Well, how did he provide for Ezra? Well, whatever he asked for, the king gave him. The king gave him. Hey, do, do you trust in God's provision in your life, in our church? Are, are you, do you find yourself worrying? Um, I, I do. I worry about people. I worry about uh, finances. I worry about you, you fill in the blank and I can find a way to worry about it. Anybody else like that? But you know what I need to Remember? is that the good hand of the Lord is at work and he's upon me and he provides. And if he's working, we saw it a couple weeks ago, he provides for his work, doesn't he? There's nothing to fear. And, uh, and after he provides for it, is God, is God out of resources to provide for the next thing? No, no. Nope. He still has more. He keeps providing. He keeps providing. Our goal, our, our mission is to what? Just keep following him and trusting him day by day. The good hand of the Lord was upon him. Ezra keeps writing and telling the story. See, this is sixty years later, and now another group is going to be going back to Jerusalem, where the temple has been built. And there also went up from Jeru- to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, not just Ezra, but some of the people, and not just some of the people, but some of the priests and Levites, so the leaders, the the singers and the gatekeepers and the temple servants, and they go up to Jerusalem. On a map, it would look like over, but really it's up because Jerusalem's on a mountain, right? We've talked about this. He's going up in elevation. They go up to Jerusalem. And and this is around 458 B.C. It's about 60 years after the temple was built. Um, Some of the people, did you notice that too? It wasn't everyone. It was some. Some weren't able to. They didn't have the resources. They didn't have the health to go. Others um, maybe just didn't want to go. But some went with him. Uh, look at verse eight. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. This would be late August or early September. So that's when they arrive. <coughs> excuse me, in Jerusalem. Verse nine. For on the well, I wonder when they took off. Verse nine tells us. For on the first month, for on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month, <coughs> excuse me. He came to Jerusalem. Why? For the good hand of the Lord was on him. Ezra could have said, it was a five-month journey, and I nailed it. Like, I led these people. Like, I gathered all the support for months on end. Think of how long it would have taken uh, to convince people to make a a 900 to 1,000-mile journey by foot or on camel and to move up, uproot to a place they've never been, to, to a land they've, they've heard about, but they're not quite sure if I really want to go. And, and he, he builds up over time. I don't know how long it took him, but, but he gets everybody. He gets a whole group of people to go with him. Ezra could have just been like, dude, <laughs> here's how I did it. But he doesn't, does he? What's he do? He says, the reason that we made it from the first uh, day of the month, first month to the first day of the fifth month, a five-month journey is because of God. Because of Jesus. It's all about him. The good hand of the Lord was upon me. He's the one who did the work. Um, and think about that journey. Here's maybe a thought of the good hand of the Lord here where we see it. I, I would argue we see it in that uh, he sustains us. Think about that journey, 900 to 1,000 miles by foot on camel, whatever the, the situation. You didn't, you didn't hop in a plane and get there in a couple hours. You didn't even hop in a car and get there in a couple days, five months. And um, probably no showers along the way, probably no rest stops to grab a burger. Actually, you know what you would have faced? We'll see it here in a moment. You'd have faced enemies along the way. People who had seen your caravan coming and they would have ambushed you to steal all of your resources And they would have hindered your progress. Happened all the time on these trade routes. Wow. But but yet they made it. Why? Because of the good hand of the Lord. God sustained them. Why don't you say that? Why? Because of the what? The good hand of the Lord. He sustains us. Listen, it was a long journey. But when something big is happening, sometimes it takes time for it to all come together, doesn't it? It took them five months to get there. We don't know how long it took in preparation before they took their first step leaving Babylon. But the Lord sustained them through it. It takes time to get buy-in and willingness to follow. It takes time uh, to make the journey. But no matter how long it took, the reason they made it was because the good hand of God was upon him. Ezra is relaying all of the glory to Jesus. And as I've said, he was an incredibly skilled leader. And we're going to see in a moment. Well, let's just go to this next verse. We'll see it. For for Ezra, verse 10, had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So so Ezra gives all credit to the Lord. It reminds me of Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. 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 Hey, are you afraid about something uh, that you see the Lord doing in your life? Or, or you're nervous about a, a direction you feel like maybe he's going or our church is going? Um, listen, you're, you should be if we're not praying and trusting Jesus in it, right? You should be really afraid. In fact, you should quit. But, but apart from me, Jesus says you can do nothing. Let's seek his face. But look, this is what Ezra does. He had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. You ever set your heart to do something? You ever just get really determined, like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn this craft. I'm going to learn this trade. I'm going to learn um, learn this book. Like, in, 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 uh, in Bible college, uh, when I took Greek, like, unless you set your heart to study in Greek, there was no way you were ever going to learn Greek. I mean, I, and, and by the way, unless you set your heart to keep uh, with it, after you learn it, you forget it, which um, I've forgotten a lot that I learned. Thankful for Bible software now that you can just look it up. But have you set your heart to something? That's what Ezra does. He sets it to study God's word. He made up his mind. He made a decision. There's no turning back. He dug into the word. And not just to to study it, uh, but to do it. See, James tells us, we're going to be in the book of James later this spring and throughout the summer. James tells us that, um, that, that you're foolish if you just hear the word of God but don't do it. You're deceiving yourself, in fact, is what he says. If all you do is show up here week after week and you hear God's word and you're like, yeah, I agree with that. That's good. Mm, ah, Good, good, good. But you do nothing about it? What's the point? What's the point? Be like Ezra. Set your heart not just to study it, but to do it. To do it. See, he he loved the Lord. Ezra loved theology. He was a good scholar. He loved to study God's word. But he understood that studying his word was only a means to loving the Lord. He loved God more than he loved theology. He loved Jesus more than he loved being right and having right doctrine. Why? Because he obeyed him. He did it. Jesus says that's the measure of whether or not you love him. Do you obey his commands? Ezra did. And not only that, though, but look, he taught it. This verse could be a sermon all by itself. It could be a series, just like this verse. He, he studied the word, he did it, and then he taught it to others. In other words, he, that's part of his obedience. He was making disciples, wasn't he? He was teaching them to obey everything that the Lord had commanded. That's what Jesus tells us to do. We're sent to love people, invite them to follow Jesus with us, to teach them. In other words, everything that Jesus commanded, to love God and to love others. Let's keep reading. So Ezra is coming back, and uh, King Artaxerxes is giving him everything he wanted. Ezra's a great scholar, great leader. And then in verse 11, Ezra writes this. He says, this is a copy of a letter, of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. So earlier we had a letter from Darius, I believe, right? Now we get a letter from Artaxerxes. At verse 12, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. Artaxerxes says, You notice that? He says, Artaxerxes, king of kings. I'm like, hold on. I think that's reserved for Jesus, isn't it? Artaxerxes was a king of kings. In other words, he ruled over a large empire. There were kings under him. But Jesus is the king of kings. Amen? Um, so, and now, verse thirteen, I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you, so people are freely allowed to go back again. This happened sixty years ago, now it 's happening again. I wonder if every time a king changed from Darius or from Cyrus to Darius to to, actually there 's another guy in there there 's Xerxes and Hazarus, and then there 's Artaxerxes. Every time the king changed, do you suppose the people got a little nervous like oh, now what 's going to happen? I wonder if they're, if, if he 's still going to be kind to us if the lord 's still going to protect us. you ever feel that after an election they They felt it, but it was after war. <laughs> well, guess what god 's in control of who 's in control, right? And, and so he's going to keep working his will. And he's doing it here and now through Artaxerxes. For, he says, verse 14, For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God which is in your hand. In other words, he's saying, Ezra, I'm sending you back. You can go back, learn whatever you want, and, and you can find out how, the things are, how things are going at the temple that's been rebuilt. You can live there. You can worship there. You can teach there. Uh, the king is sending him. But really, who's, it's not the king sending him. Who's really sending Ezra? God is, yeah. Jesus is. He's, he's in control if he's in control. Verse 15, And, and uh, you get the law, Lord, of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and the gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwellings in Jerusalem. So he goes on, and, and Artaxerxes is like, So you're going to go back, not only with the law, but I'm going to send you back with all kinds of wealth. and And we're going to find out why here in a moment. Why Artaxerxes lets him go. With all the silver and the gold you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia. And with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that's in Jerusalem. With this money then, verse 17, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, lambs, and grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you will offer them on the altar of the house of your God that's in Jerusalem. Uh, Ministry takes funding, doesn't it? Everything in the world kind of costs something. and, And God's providing for this to happen whatever seems good to you and your brothers do it with the rest of the silver and gold in other words it's an unrestricted gift is what artaxerxes is saying you can do it according to the will of your god the vessels that have been given to you for the service of the house of your god you shall deliver before the god of Jerusalem whatever is required for the house which it falls into you falls to you to provide you may provide it out of the king's treasury And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree. So now Artaxerxes turns his attention from Ezra in his letter to the treasurers in the land. And he tells him, he says to all the treasurers in the province, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven requires you, let it be done with all diligence. In other words, Ezra's coming back, and whatever he needs uh, to do the work of the Lord at the temple, if he asks you for something, do it. Do it. If you go back, Darius had said the same thing. Uh, in, in chapter 6. And he said, if you don't do it, we're going to pull a beam out of your house and impale you on it. Artaxerxes isn't quite that strict about it. But he, he says, do it. He, he gives a list of how much. And then in verse 23, whatever's decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven. Lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. There we see his motivation. Artaxerxes wasn't really worshiping God. He just wanted the benefits. He was treating God like another God, a genie in a bottle. And... Um, Here's my wishes. I'm going to pay enough that maybe he'll, he'll be kind to me. That's what he's doing. We Look at verse 24 then. We also notify you, uh, Ezra is leading back. It's going to be the first tax-exempt church in history. Look at this. Now We notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute or custom or toll on any of the priests, Levites, singers, doorkeepers, temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. So, uh, Listen, give them everything they need and don't tax them anything. And then he turns his attention back to Ezra. And he says, Ezra, uh, long story short, he he appoints Ezra to be the one who's going to appoint new government leaders in the land. So he's kind of giving a clue to all the treasurers. Listen, you need to really help this guy because he's going to be the one who's in control now. It's incredible favor of the Lord. And now as Ezra finishes the letter, verse 27, he begins writing and giving commentary on everything. Look what he says. Verse 27, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers. Again, Ezra's focus isn't on himself, is it? It's on the Lord. You know, um, many of you in this room, the Lord has done some incredible things through your life, through your generosity, through your sacrifice, through your faith. The reason you have a, a place to sit this morning is because of some of the generosity and sacrifice and faith of people 25, 30 years ago. How many of you, you were, you were here then? You were here back in the early days of our church. Would you raise your hand? Raise it high so we can see it. You, you've been here for 20, 25, 30. Can I just say thank you? Thank you. I, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. And blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, the God Almighty, that he would put such a thing in your heart. That his good hand was upon you and continues to be upon our church. You're, we talked about legacy earlier. You're, you're leaving a legacy. Thank you. Anybody else agree? Thank you. Amen. And we don't want to miss that. And... Um, Ezra, all these things happen and he says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Now notice what he puts into the heart of the king. What Ezra says was put into the heart of the king. This is the first clue we get as to what Ezra's mission is going to be when he gets back. It's to beautify the house of the Lord that's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt 60 years ago. And if you remember after the foundations were laid, some cheered, some wept because it wasn't as beautiful as Solomon's. Now 60 years passed, two generations, and the king decided um, evidently, because Ezra says that's why the king sent him back. The king decided, you know what, that, that, that temple, uh, it, it needs to be uh, brought up to date. It needs to be beautified. That was the only reason. Just to make it pretty. He's like, uh, the, the Lord, the God of heaven, put it in the heart of the king to beautify the temple. And he sent back millions of dollars worth of gold and silver to provide for all of it to happen. That tells me that the Lord um, cares about creativity. He cares about beauty. Um, it, it wasn't to make it more functional. It wasn't to help the poor. It, wasn't, it was to make it pretty. God God put this in the heart of the king to go beautify his temple, to beautify the people's place of worship so that it would continue to endure for generations. And look at verse 28, and, and now the Lord who put that in the heart of the king, and he says, blessed be the Lord God who extended to me his steadfast love before the king. So Ezra knows that that the Lord has extended his steadfast love. Do you know that God has extended his steadfast love to you? Steadfast, like unchanging, never-changing love for you. Unalterable, unescapable. His steadfast love. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And do you know that he extended his steadfast love to you and to me while we were still his enemies? While we still shook shook our fist in his face? Did you know that he extends his love to you and I? Um, when we say you are loved and you see that on the sign, that's exactly what we mean, that you are loved by Jesus. Children, you are loved by Jesus and you're loved by us. Here's some, here's some ways that God loves. We love because he first loved us. First John four, John three, he so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe won't perish, but has eternal life. The psalmists write about it all the time. Give thanks to the God of gods for His steadfast love endures. How long, forever? Or if you're squints, forever, long time. Um, How precious is your steadfast love, Psalm 36. Zephaniah 3: The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Friends, you're loved by Jesus. You are loved. Ezra blesses the Lord for his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. And now look at this. Here we see this phrase again. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Here's the next thing I see. The good hand of the Lord gives courage. Gives courage. Ezra was facing quite a task. He was going to a place he had never been. He, he's taking a group of people with him that may be kind of, and some may be unsure about going. Uh, it was a long journey, but he's like, you know what? Because of God's love, because I know God is the one at work. In fact, he put it in the heart of the king. I, I'm going to step out in faith and I'm taking courage. What are you facing? Do you need a little courage? Courage. The good hand of the Lord on your life, his steadfast love in your life, should give you courage to trust him. Every time he does something in the past and tells us to remember it, it's so that we would trust him for more in the future. It's always with the present and future in mind. God is always forward-facing. He's always moving into the future. Um, The good hand of the Lord. Trust his steadfast love. Take courage. Now, we get to chapter 8, and Ezra circles back and gives us more details on this whole story of taking five months to go from Babylon to Jerusalem. Look at verse 1. These are the heads. He gives us a clue of who all came with him. These are the heads of the father's houses and all those who came with him. And I'm not going to read through all those, but skip ahead to verse 15. He says, I gathered them to the river. So he's telling us all the detail now. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahaza or Ahava, excuse me. Now, we don't know where that is. Many assume it was a canal that kind of tied into the Tigris River, probably somewhere in Babylon. It's since been uh, been lost to history, buried, ruined. We, don't, we have no idea other than it's probably somewhere there in Babylon. And he assembles his followers there. And it says, we camped there for three days. And as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found, that I found none of the sons of Levi. He didn't have anybody to lead worship. He's like, I need some worship leaders in this group, man. So he goes, uh, he sends for a few of them. In verse 17, 16, lists their names, 17, he sent to Idu, the leading man. Uh, so he, Idu was a, a Judean, uh, a leader of a, a Judean community in exile. And he says to Idu, dude, I, I need some worship leaders. I need, you got to send some of the Levites. I need some singers. I need some people to lead worship. You've got to send some people, some leading ones, to come back with me. And so he gathers them up. And, and look at this. Verse 18. It wasn't by, um, by as we're going, uh, manipulating people to serve or twisting their arm to serve. Here it comes again, verse 18. What's it say? And the good hand of our God, and by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion. Uh, and the sons of, Mahal, of, of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and kinsmen also, Hashabiah and with him Jeshiah and the sons of Morari and, and his kinsmen and their sons, besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. And these were all mentioned by name. There it is. Well, what's good, God's good hand providing this time? Well, I think it's pretty simple. He's providing wisdom to a man of discretion, And he's providing good leadership. Good leadership is a gift from the Lord. It's a sign of his good hand upon his people, both in Ezra and in these people. Then I proclaimed. "See, So here's the scene, right? He gets everybody together. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back. It's going to be a long journey. Um, And so we're gathering here at the river and then we're going to take off. Are you ready? Are you ready? And I wonder if people are like, "Um, yeah, but can I get some more detail here, please? Ezra, I'd like to know, um, like, uh, where are we stopping for breakfast in the morning? And uh, how many bathroom breaks are along the way? And uh, by the way, what about that dangerous pass where there's uh, people there who are bound uh, to take all of this gold and silver and wealth that the king has given us? How are we going to make it? I hope you've got a plan, Ezra. I hope you've got a plan, man. Look what he does. So what Ezra does then, after he gathered them together, I, before they left... I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our gods, and our goods, excuse me. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. See, he proclaims a fast. He humbles himself, and they seek the Lord for a few days before they ever go anywhere. Do you do that? Before you make a decision on on something major in your life, do you seek the Lord? Do you pray about it? Do you maybe even fast about it? It says, for I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers, verse 22, and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, um, here it is again, here's the fifth time, right? "The The hand of our God is good, is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath against all who forsake him he had made a testimony and he's like i don't want the king not to believe because i'm not uh, really doing what i say i believe <laughs> i said the lord's hand for good was on all who sought him there's the there's the fifth thing we see listen do you you're hearing all these ways that god's good hand is upon people and you're like i don't i don't know i don't know that i see it i don't i don't know how do i, how do I get his good hand on my life well here's the answer the, the good hand of the Lord is on all who do what? Seek Him. Who get on their knees, get on their face, get their nose in His book, and seek His face. Do you seek Him? Everything else rests on this. It all rests on this. To have the good hand of the Lord in your life, seek Him. Don't become complacent. If you have, repent. Seek Him. Friends, we're doing this as a church. Look at verse 23. We fasted and implored our God for this. And then as they sought him, he listened to our entreaty. So they sought him and he was found. You know, that's kind of the calling card of God in Jeremiah. He says, if you seek me, you will what? Find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. If you seek me, you will find me. That's heroic faith. That's keeping his eyes on Jesus. That's trusting him to do the work. And it says, we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Do you know today starts, for our church, 30 consecutive days of prayer? Did you know that? And you can sign up to get prayer texts every day starting this afternoon. And by the way, so are are you worried about anything going on in your life? Are you worried about anything going on in the church, the direction we're heading, whatever's coming, whatever's happening well, then, are you seeking God in it? Because if you're not, what a waste of worry and of time. If you're not praying about it, forget it. I haven't mentioned where we're heading, right? But you all know where we're going with the 30 for 30 stuff. Listen, if we're not seeking the Lord in that, and not just in that, but in every ministry of our church, write it off. And let me know we're not because I want to find a job where everyone is seeking the Lord. But I believe we are. Amen. And I praise the Lord for that. But hey, if you want to seek him, here's what we're going to do. Every day at 430 for the next 30 days, if you text this phrase that's in your bulletin, 3030 pray to this number, 95577. You'll get a text message every day at 430 to pray about. And it's a request for something in our church. So today's, I think, has that the Lord would put in us a desire to pray and to seek his face. And every day you get that, at 4.30 in the afternoon when we get it, um, I would encourage you, just just pray about that thing for a couple minutes. Whenever you see it. Maybe you don't see it until you get home at night. I don't know. Whenever you get it, just pray about that thing. And just seek the Lord in it. And every request is going to be about something. uh, Ministries in our church, leaders in our church, direction, strategy, philosophy. I mean, mission in our church, right? Would you pray? Would you join us? And if you you want to go deeper, hopefully, did you get one of these on your way in? Did everybody get one of these? Nobody got one. Some of you did. Um, Maybe Kirk, would you maybe grab some more out there, and anybody who wants one can get one. We put together a 30-day prayer guide for you. 30 days, and it starts today. And uh, you can seek the Lord. And uh, so Sunday, for today, there's a scripture verse. And then um, there's like three, anywhere from one to four, maybe five prayer requests each day and a place for you to take some notes. If you don't have one, I want you to raise your hand. We'll get them to you right now. Um, But I would encourage you, take this and pray. Let's seek the Lord together on behalf of our church that if if we really believe what we sang, that we want to see God move, man, we got to seek him. And maybe you would join us tonight, 6 p.m. Can you tell I'm passionate about this? I long for you guys to join us in seeking the Lord together. It's such a waste of time if we're not seeking him. He's the senior, Jesus is the senior pastor of our church. Here's how Ezra does it. They fasted and implored their God for this and he listened to their entreaty. If you want, over the next 30 days, my plan is on, uh, from supper on Wednesday to supper on Thursday to fast and seek the Lord. And I don't say that to brag. I just say, if you, if you want to do that with me, you're welcome to. And uh, by fasting, why do you fast? Well, you, you deny something physical to enhance spiritual. So every time I get hungry, it's going to be a reminder, uh, you don't live on bread alone, Josh. You need the Lord. Seek the Lord. And I pause to pray instead of that. Maybe you can't do that physically. So maybe you would fast from, ooh, this could be a harder one, Facebook for 24 hours. And instead of getting on Facebook, you get in God's word. What else is it? I mean, seek him. I could go on and on. I hope you'll join us tonight, 6 p.m. So after praying, then Ezra sets apart 12 of the leading priests. And he weighs out to them, verse 25, the silver and the gold and the vessels. And, And he says to them, verse 28, you are holy to the Lord and the vessels are holy. The silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. So guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites. He entrusts all the wealth to these people and says, by the way, you better guard it because it's not yours. It's God's. Take good care of it. And they had a heavy burden then to carry. And the priests and Levites, verse 30, took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of their God. That would have been hard work carrying the weight of all those precious metals. Just like ministry can be hard work and following the Lord can be hard work carrying the weight and the burdens that we carry. Then we departed from the river on the twelfth day, <laughs> so they sp- they spent a few days there praying and fasting, and the hand of our God there it is again was on us, and He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and ambushes by the way. So the last way we see the lord's hand, good hand at work is he delivers us and he, he's the one who grants victory, loved ones it, it, His his hand is good for those who seek him and his wrath is heavy on those who forsake him. And then he goes on and says, because of seeking him, the good hand of the Lord our God was on us and he delivered us and he gave us victory and he brought us to the end of the journey. Amen? I I won't go on through the rest of the text. I'll let you read the rest of of Ezra 8. Um, But let me encourage you. I I don't know what you're facing. I, I know what I am. I don't know um, what what challenges lie ahead of you this week, this month, this year. Um, I know some that lie ahead for our church. Uh, Listen, trust the Lord's good hand for his provision. Trust him to sustain you. Trust him uh, to give you courage along the way to step out in faith. Trust him to give you wisdom and to lead you trust seek him so that his good hand is on your life and on our church and trust him to deliver you and give victory amen with that uh we're gonna pray and then we're gonna give and sing and call it a morning father thank you for jesus thank you for uh, your good hand on us and on our church through him lord apart from that good hand um it really is it's just such a waste of time And in fact, instead of facing uh, your goodness through your grace, we face your wrath. So, Father, I pray uh, for us, help us to seek you, to trust you. I pray for those who've maybe never uh, become a Christian, that today might be the day they choose Jesus to to turn to you and to seek you, uh, maybe for the first time in their life. And for all of us, Lord, for each one, whatever it is we face and for the things we face as a church. Uh, We trust you and your good hand to be at work, to provide, to sustain, to give us courage, and in the end, to give victory. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.